Welcome to the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. Well, it's another Thursday evening. I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in tonight. And uh, as is my usual, I'll give you the weather report down here in beautiful southwest Florida. It is once again a dark and stormy night here in lovely Bonita Springs. We've had uh, lots of rain today, and as all my faithful listeners will know, will know that Bahama, our sweet little 11-year-old chocolate lab female, doesn't do well with the storm. So once again this Thursday, Bahama is blissfully medicated and curled up here on the carpet inside the opium den tonight. So again, thanks, uh, thanks for tuning in. You know, we like to hear from anybody who's listening. It's very easy to get on the radio show. You can just give me a call at 727-493-2205. Or if you're a Skype user, my Skype ID is the new libertarian. And always you can send us an email, daniel at theopiumden.net. There's an email button right on the homepage there. It says email Daniel. We'd love to rather hear from you on the phone, so um, give us a call if you'd like. We do have a uh, special friend of the show. It will be calling in a little bit uh, later tonight. My friend Luke from Pennsylvania, Ohio, and points out west. Luke will be calling in tonight to give me an update on the recent Cato Institute white paper that was published on the Portugal experiment. Experiment's been going on for almost eight years, six years, I guess, where they've uh, decriminalized the possession for personal use of virtually every drug. And once again, uh, so we're going to look forward to Luke giving us a call, bringing us up to date on that. And uh, we have a couple of items on the agenda this evening. You know, we like to keep everything kind of drug-related. So we're going to talk about uh, a couple of issues that seem to be in the news lately. And uh, they'll wrap into the, into the drug idea. But uh, first of all, as you, anyone who has read my blog entry for tonight's program, uh, titled Beer Nuts, we had uh, the long-awaited beer summit, I guess you want to call it. I like it. I like to call it the beer nuts. But uh, we were going to have this evening at 6 o'clock, we had President Obama sitting down with Sergeant Crowley and Professor Skip Gates to discuss what I call the Cambridge caper. But lo and behold, after I wrote my beer nuts blog entry, I sat down to watch uh, the news to get a glimpse of this little uh, drinking game going on in the north at a picnic table in the north lawn at the White House. And obviously there were no audios available. You could only see the TV stations were, you know, kept 40, 50 feet away. So, but it was interesting to see that Joe Biden joined the party. Uh, that was not uh, advertised. So you wonder how, uh, how Joe ended up in the, 
in the beer fab. Maybe he was sitting there and all kind of lonely and figured that, man, I'm going to be at the beer party. Why can't I go? Uh, Joe's had to, I think they lengthened Joe's leash a little bit after, even after his uh, uh, fuck Russia <laughs> comments. But I figure he's got a little bit uh, more uh, more leverage now that since President Obama acted stupidly uh, last week, so misery loves company. But anyway, Joe Biden ended up at this little picnic table, all drinking their beer, and even that, even the, even the beer that they had chosen got uh, got some press today. Uh, Samuel Adams, the the guy that runs uh, that uh, founded the uh, Sam Adams Beer Company in Boston, was asked if he. Uh, he would have liked to have seen his beer, since how it happened in Boston, if he would have liked to have seen his beer uh, quaffed it down today in that little uh, beer nuts gathering. But he said it didn't matter. He, was, he would have liked to have seen it, but more importantly, he would have liked to have seen uh, any beer company other than those multinational foreign-based ones that apparently represented all the beers consumed at the little picnic table. But anyway, even the, even the beer they chose, which shouldn't be a surprise, was uh, some kind of a kind of an issue. But there they were, the four. It was a very interesting picture, since we couldn't hear anything. As you looked at the, uh, the little gathering, on the left was Joe Biden, and right there to Joe Biden's left was uh, Professor Gates. And on the other side of the table, uh, there was Barack Obama, and to his right, uh, Sergeant Crowley, the uh, Cambridge police officer. Now, uh, Sergeant Crowley and uh, Professor Gates, as I would imagine anybody would, going to meet the president in a, with a surprise cameo of the vice president. Both men were uh, dressed in coats and ties, I believe. Uh, Professor Gates may have been wearing a suit, but I couldn't really tell. But they had coats and ties and, you know, respectful of the invitation that they had received, even though it was going to be a very awkward moment for uh, for them. But uh, Vice President Biden and President Obama had taken off their jackets and, you know, to get that just regular guy look going for them as they all drank beer out of what apparently started out as, as frosted mugs. Well, I would have loved to have been sitting at that table today. I'm sure everybody else would be a little ant on that picnic table. Um, haven't seen anything since if there's been any uh, word or statements made, but it was just interesting to watch and to look at the body language. You saw President Obama reaching in a couple of times to eat some eat some nuts, but I don't think uh, anybody was shown on camera actually drinking. I could be wrong, but uh, YouTube will show me uh, the way on that, I'm sure. But they were sitting there and... Uh, I tell you what, it looked pretty awkward to me. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a, a professional body language person, but uh, it certainly wasn't hard to, to tell that. And you don't know how long they'd been sitting there before uh, the cameras uh, brought it in, but probably not long. But they showed because they showed one the last beer, I guess Biden's beer, being delivered out there. But it certainly looked uh, as if they were fairly uncomfortable. But the question I have. And that's not only me that's asking. Uh, Lucia, Lucia Whalen, she is the uh, nice 
lady, and they've made note that she's a first-generation Portuguese-American, but Lucia Lucia Whalen, she's the nice lady that made the call. And she was vilified in the press as a racist, and her, you know, literally words were put in her mouth, and she finally had a press conference, and she was very credible, and she was very upset, and she's just an average American who was doing her civic duty, and when you listen to the tapes, she was very measured in, in her comments, and not until she was prompted by uh, the 911 dispatch uh, did she mention any, were there any, men- <clears throat> or were there any mentions of race by uh, Lucia. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering why, why didn't Lucia Whalen uh, get invited to the White House to be a part of this, you know, beer summit, beer nuts, reconciliation, whatever the fuck it was on the North Lawn of the White House today. Why wasn't Lucia Whalen invited? It was interesting, her, her attorney who introduced her or spoke of her prior to Lucia speaking for herself I thought was a was a pretty pretty bright astute uh, lawyer, and uh, she kind of made light of the fact that Lucia wasn't uh, invited. The one who acted most responsibly in the whole situation uh, wasn't invited to the uh, to the little uh, beer fest. And uh, I thought it was cute that the the lawyer said maybe it's just a guy thing, and I think it is kind of a guy thing. I mean, when you think about it. Four guys, two white guys, two black guys, getting together and drinking, and <clears throat> we're, we're to be led to believe that that was going to solve a racial issue. Normally, uh, not normally, but more often than we, we care to admit, you get uh, some white guys and some black guys together with, uh, and start drinking. Uh, I, don't know how many, I don't know how many problems that actually resolves, but... Anyway, I found it interesting that they chose to, uh, to you know, sit together and have a beer. You know, that uh, quintessential uh, barrier breaker. I'm just wondering if uh, if any of them besides Obama is a smoker. It would have been nice if Obama could have really relaxed and had a cigarette, had a beer. Everybody did a little mea culpa and decided to uh, to move it on, but. The fact that uh, two white guys, two black guys got together to drink and talk about a, a uh, controversial racial subject, I thought was the real teachable moment. I mean, I would have soon, I, I would think that, uh, you know, Obama has already uh, admitted to smoking pot and, and snorting coke, but he didn't do any smack, and those are the exact words he used in his book to give him some street credibility. But we know that President Obama has smoked pot. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Professor Gates, being of his age and uh, the like, if he hadn't probably smoked back in his college days. We don't know about Joe Biden, but I'm, I'd am i probably bet that Joe's taking a puff or two. Sergeant Crowley, on the other hand, may be, uh, may be the Boy Scout in the group as, re, as it regards to uh, getting high, but the majority of them at that picnic table, at least, uh, at least 50%, are probably the majority of those at that picnic table that I had smoked pot. So I would think that my recommendation would have been that they at least smoked a little weed instead of drank some alcohol because, you know, weed's a little less uh, a little less explosive. But anyway, that is my, uh, my beer nuts story. 
So uh, one other side benefit of the little controversy of the Cambridge caper is that it uh, knocked health care off the news for a while, and I thought that was a pretty good thing because it's pretty much dead in its current form in the, uh, in the House of Representatives and all of our congressional leaders are heading home for the August recess to either sell the plan to their constituents or convince their constituents the plan uh, should be dead on arrival. Um, but the thing is, um, the, uh, the American public, I think the American public believes reform is needed. There's no question about that. We all believe the system needs to be, uh, to, to be modified and to be more efficient. There's no question about that. But what the American people, uh, what they don't believe, and in, increasingly no, in increasing numbers, is that a government-run government system is the way to go. Uh, the poll numbers on this, the NBC, Wall Street Journal poll, you know, left and right, to give it some, some balance, they, believe, they find that uh, only 46% uh, disapprove and uh, 26% disapprove strongly. So there's a, a uh, larger, or there's a growing number of the American uh, electorate that believes that uh, the universal health care as it is being proposed is not the way to go. And what I find interesting, again, I'm a, I'm a libertarian, so I can take my shots at the Republicans and the Democrats and and uh, even at the libertarians when, when required, but we're talking about the Democrats and Republicans because they're the ones that are controlling and going to determine how this health care program shakes out. But the Democrats, I, I just find it, I, I guess I don't find it amazing, but I, I just find it interesting that, the, that the, the Democrats are not even trying to conceal the fact that the so-called public option is designed to lead to a single-payer system just like they have in Canada. Uh, Pelosi, who faithful Denhead listeners will know that is one of my least favorite politicians, well, Pelosi today, in, a, in just naked language, called insurance companies villains. And she said that they make more profit than any other company out, any other corporation, and she just vilified them as they were just sucking all of our money away. Now, um, I I wouldn't uh, call the insurance companies villains per se, though their um, their aversion to covering pre-existing conditions is uh, is acting stupidly, as to put the current lexicon together. So yes, I think it's uh, ridiculous that they don't uh, cover pre-existing conditions, and that's going to change. You'll find pretty soon. But I think it's a complete lie that Pelosi said uh, they make. Uh, the highest percentage of profits of any corporations. Uh, in fact, the top five insurance companies averaged 1.5%. That's 1.5% net profit in the last year. Now, by comparison, Microsoft, Google, and, uh, and a host of other large companies have net profits in the, in the double digits. Uh, so Pelosi was just uh, fear-mongering uh, doing the same thing that President Obama is accusing the Republicans of, of scare tactics. So that was uh, fear-mongering and scare tactics by Pelosi. And that other stalwart of the uh, disenfranchised, Barney Frank, uh, he was on TV today saying that the public option 
Uh, he's, in, he's in favor of the public option, as Obama said he has. Um, the public option is the best way to get to that single-payer system. So we have the Democrats just blatantly and brazenly uh, going against the president's own statements and uh, saying that we're going to have this single-payer public option and we're going to have a health, a, a government-run health care system. So in uh, what, I, uh, what I've done is I, I did a little research because we have a few, a few states out there, Maine, Massachusetts, and Tennessee, that have experience with uh, this public option covering everybody in the state type of issue that uh, the government is uh, that Obama is talking about now. The Massachusetts system and the Maine system—they're—they're uh, they're in trouble, but they haven't been around long enough to really give a a, a fair accounting. But what we do have is a is a system that has been operational in Tennessee since 1994, and I uh, just want to give you a little bit of information about that. Um, I just mentioned there are two New England states with universal health care, Massachusetts and Maine. But uh, we're going to look at Tennessee, which started in 1994 by a Democratic governor by the name of Ned McWherter. And his promise was that it would save the state money, reduce costs, blah, 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 increase coverage. Of course, instead, uh, within a decade, which would make it 2004, the program went from a budget of $2.5 billion to nearly $8 billion, which was primarily, and, uh, and not primarily, but it, it was also mired in legislation and, and litigation and, and was forced to make uh, major, uh, major cuts. So his, what Mr. Uh, what Governor McWhorter was, uh, was promoting was is just the same thing that, uh, that Obama is selling. Now, we have a congresswoman in, in, uh, up in Washington by the name of Marsha Blackburn, and she was a Tennessee state senator. Uh, back when many of the problems began to uh, materialize in Tennessee, in both Tennessee Care or Ten Care in 1999, and this is a quote from uh, from Congresswoman uh, Blackburn: "There is not a credible example of having brought about a cost savings and insured everyone. We have not seen that in Ten Care." And she goes on to say, "I just find it unconscionable that they are not talking about the lessons that." They learned from the 10-care experience, the lessons that are still being learned every day from the 10-care experience. In other words, Congressman Blackburn is saying that the 10-care experience is not, uh, is not the way to go and that they should uh, take lessons. So what, uh, what Blackburn did, what uh, Congresswoman Blackburn did, she's a, she's a member of the, the House Energy and Commerce Committee. It's one of the committees that uh, have reviewed health care legislation and she had a simple question for Health and Human Services Secretary, new, the new Health and Human Services Secretary, Kathleen Sebelis. So she wrote to Kathleen, and this is what she asked, and I quote, I would like to know, this is uh, Congressman Blackburn, I would like to know what lessons the administration has taken from Tennessee's experiment with a public option health care, a program known as TenCare. So... Uh, uh, Secretary uh, Sibilius wrote back, Sibilius wrote back uh, uh, rather tersely, I would say. And this is a quote from the Secretary. We have learned many lessons from the 10-care experience and recognized its goals. But 10-care is not a traditional public option. So uh, 
Congresswoman Blackburn, go fuck yourself. But um, so you know, we have this we have this the system in uh, in Tennessee that uh, we ha- we uh, that, that in their in their first uh, recently right after it was started, the, the state plan pulled in nearly eight hundred thousand people. Uh, that were then on Medicaid, which is the Medicare for young people, uh, 800,000 of them, along with more than 300,000 others who were uh, supposedly uninsured or uninsurable. So when this started out, there were nine, uh, nine companies participated in the program and, you know, acting as uh, state contractors, so to speak. And... Uh, and there was there was at least a you know a private market, albeit not exactly a free market component to Tennessee's experiment, and that's you know in contrast with Obamacare, where the government would likely own and run the public option, which would only accelerate the problems, according to uh, Blackburn, Congressman Blackburn. Now, um, when the uh, on January. In January 1994, the day that this whole thing started, uh, the uh, it was announced that the 2.5 billion 10 care program would replace Tennessee's ballooning Medicaid program, promising more care for less money. Blah blah. And the they quoted then Governor McCordy as saying, "Hundreds of thousands of Tennesseans who are on Medicaid or who are unable to get health insurance will have access to affordable health care under 10 care." Well, that uh, obviously uh, didn't happen. So what happened, uh, though, um, what they tried to do was to review uh, who was actually eligible for the enrollees, but a federal court in 1996 said you can't, uh, you can't check to see if there's any fraud, in, in essence. And uh, the, the, uh, the program, as not to be any surprise, became a big success, and everybody was leaving private insurance to go to the public plan. And uh, which is exactly what will happen under under Obama's system. And uh, they were having trouble. Uh, costs were low. Benefits or uh, prices were low. Benefits were were being uh, uh, changed and, and minimized. And not everybody uh, was happy. The hospitals were being paid about forty cents on the dollar for the ten care patients. Uh, and. Uh, you know, eventually it rose to 64 cents on the dollar, but it was uh, it was a reduction, so it made uh, doctors made less money. And in the summer of 1999, about f- five six years after the program had been in place, a state audit in Tennessee showed that uh, the state was spending six million dollars uh, to insure some 14,000 dead people, and that <laughs> that. Uh, over 16,000 enrollees uh, on the plan lived outside the state of Tennessee, and that 20% uh, were not even eligible for the for the program. So it just goes to show you some of the uh, some of the abuses and one of the problems with the program that they're, according to uh, uh, Drew Johnson, who is the president of the Tennessee Center for Policy Research, uh, which is a free market think tank, you know. He said there wasn't a limit to the amount of prescriptions you could have. Um, there were people who have it were, were getting as many. Uh, there was just no limit to the amount of uh, prescriptions. And so as a result, what they had was a far more expensive Medicaid system in terms of the percentage of the state budget than uh, any place else. 
so the, the the governor tried to negotiate a way to drastic, you know, dramatically scale down these costs, and they went on the prescription deal. Uh, and they, and his his, uh, his proposal was to limit prescriptions to five per person per month. I mean, Jesus Christ, five different prescriptions per month. I mean, people were obviously taking many more than that. So that uh, that, that that was just crazy. But uh, by November of 2004, just one decade after Ten Care uh, came into play, uh, Governor Bredenson said it was time to scrap the whole deal. And uh, it's just a cautionary tale to uh, to examine on on where we're headed uh, under the uh, the Obama health care plan. So we have uh, Tennessee, interestingly enough. There are four of the Blue Dog Democrats from Tennessee. We have Congressman Bart Gordon, Jim Cooper, uh, Lincoln Davis, and John Tanner, Tanner. excuse me, And they've all expressed skepticism about the Obama health plan because obviously they're from Tennessee and they know that, you know, it was a pretty fuck duck up in Tennessee. And... Uh, so Blackburn, our Congresswoman Blackburn, she's been working closely with uh, Republican Phil Rowe, a former uh, uh, colleague uh, from Tennessee, and uh, um, she worked back. She worked with him back when uh, state legislator trying to figure out how to how to pay for ten care. Rowe was then a physician uh, working in the program, so they both have a good experience with ten care. Uh, Blackburn has, uh, in the, the final quote it was, this is from Congresswoman Blackburn. It is incumbent upon us to look what has happened with TenCare and to make that point with our colleagues, Blackburn said. We knew it was a program that was too expensive to afford, and that leads to comments that it is too big to fail. So, cautionary tale out there about, uh, about health care and... Uh, why the more the American people learn about this uh, Obamacare, as it's being called, back in Clinton's presidency, it was called the Hillary Care, but now we have Obamacare, and it looks like we're going to end up with a with a bill. Obama has to have a safe face by the end of the end of the year. If he doesn't get a uh, health care program uh, by then, he won't be able to claim any victory and. Whatever health care plan is finally is finally approved by Congress will be uh, considerably more watered down than it is today, and he'll probably take abuse for that because even a watered down version uh, will not will not work very well. So, um, how does that get around to to drugs? Well, um, five prescriptions a day minimum in Tennessee. We we're looking at people that are going to be taking a uh, an awful lot of of pills to cure real or even imaginary ills, um, and many of these uh, many of these drugs are for hypertension, uh, anxiety, sleep, uh, some of the more mundane ailments that uh, that befall people. So why shouldn't they uh, be able to uh, to smoke pot to alleviate uh, some of those same symptoms? So I think. Uh, as far as health care is concerned, that wouldn't be a bad idea. But uh, we're, we're waiting here for, uh, for Luke to give us a call. He said he was going to give us a call around uh, half past. So until, uh, until Luke uh, joins us, um, I just want to say my, my, uh, my, think, my thinking on health care. 
Uh, some of my uh, more uh, faithful Denhead uh, listeners know that in 2008 I was a candidate for the Libertarian Party presidential um, ticket, and uh, I had a health care uh, program policy that uh, was uh, heretical to many uh, many inside the Libertarian Party because it combined a universal uh, component uh, and a private sector component. But uh, I just want to you know tell you what it is briefly as we wait for uh, wait for Luke to give us a call and update us on the Portugal experiment. My uh, my policy was very simple. I believe that the uh, the people should have the federal government supply universal health care for everyone from first breath to 18th birthday. Um, and then when you turn 18, you are required to buy insurance in the private, uh, in the private sector market. Now, most of that would be just catastrophic insurance, uh, but everybody would be required to, uh, to have a little, little skin in the game. But the important thing is for the first 18 years of, of your life, which are the formative years as we're told uh, by Wonder Bread and everybody else out there, we would have a, uh, a system where it would be frequent and sustained visits to, oh, well, we think we have Luke calling in, so we'll just hold off my health care until another date and get a hold of Luke. Luke, how are you? Welcome to the Opium Den. Thanks, I'm doing pretty well. Well, good. I I chatted you up at the top of the hour and said that you'd be calling in, and here you are. So here I am. Here you were going to. Uh, I mentioned to the to the listeners out there that you were going to discuss the Cato Institute publication coming out that just has come out recently on the uh, the uh, decriminalization experiment in Portugal. So tell me what's on your mind about that. What's it What's it saying? I got a good idea, but you, t- you t- tell our listeners how that uh, that terrible system is working over in Portugal. Okay, well, um, I haven't gotten all the way through it, but here's a, a report of the basics about the decriminalization um, effort in Portugal, and I emphasize decriminalization because it's not legalization; it's just decriminalization, and what that does is it changes it from a criminal penalty with the possibility of jail time to just an administrative um, penalty, if Like you a will. speeding ticket or something. Um, yeah, kind of. But I think it's even less, um, it has less of an effect on you even than that speeding ticket would. Uh, the, the emphasis is on treatment, not on uh, you did something bad, so now we're going to penalize you for it. And they even go as far as uh, making the proceedings informal with uh, so-called judges um, just wearing informal clothing, sitting down at a table with uh, the people who have been caught with um, 10 days or less of drugs. And that's one of the definitions. So what you can have have what you can do in 10 days, right? Anything more than that and... You got a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and trafficking is still illegal. Yeah, they, they've decided, if I'm not mistaken, to focus uh, most of their energies on stopping uh, the people <laughs> from getting those decriminalized drugs. 
But I guess if they figure if it gets if it if it filters down to the street, we'll leave those guys alone. But we're going to try to get the people that supply them. So it's kind of a kind of a catch twenty two surreal thing. But at least the, the the program is working. So tell us more. What what else did it say? Uh, one of the concerns with legalizing or decriminalizing drugs in any country especially Portugal was, well, now we're going to have a bunch of people coming here just to do drugs and we'll have an even bigger problem. But from the data I've reviewed in the report, uh, 95% of the people who have been brought in for these administrative hearings are from Portugal. So So much for drug tourism, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another another big um, thing that people will say about legalizing or decriminalizing drugs is that well we'll have more of the more use of hard drugs like coke and heroin yeah, everybody's going to start getting fucked up because they've just been waiting for it to become legal <laughs> to run out and shoot a little heroin and smoke some coke right yeah i guess everyone everyone must be waiting to do that <laughs> well, not, but not but not in <laughs> portugal it seems it didn't if you're if i'm if i'm hearing you right they didn't have any increase in Heroin use or cocaine use, and probably had a little bit less. I guess they're still waiting. So you you are correct. Um, cannabis use did increase, but well, there's a surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it actually if use actually increased, or they just were were able to see more people that were doing it. Um, or how right. they measured that. The people that came in for administrative hearings right. since 2001 increased. But as far as the other, the harder drugs, uh, since 2001, it's been a, a steady low number of people that have been brought in for hearings. With hard drugs. Right. Right. So I guess the, 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 the fear and paranoia that, that Portugal would turn into an addict nation, which is the same propaganda fear-mongering they do here, uh, apparently has not materialized yet. Uh, not yet but I'll be interested to see what happens in the next 10 years. And I would not be surprised if the results are the same. Yeah, I think that there's, uh, there's probably room to grow in the, in the cannabis crowd because I think if more people try it, uh, at least, especially if they try it in an edible format as opposed to a smoking format, but they still smoke a lot in Portugal. But I think that uh, cannabis use will, will uh, continue to, to rise just because people are going to like it. And then they're going to find that it's not a big deal. But heroin and cocaine and all the all the hard drugs probably will remain pretty static, and, and may even see a decrease over the years. So what else, what else did they have to say? Are, are the are the Portuguese um, happy with the system? Um, I haven't gotten that far in the report yet, so maybe I can add that uh, next week. Well, you know, you know the uh, the woman uh, Lucia Whalen who made the 911 call up in Cambridge that put uh, Professor Gates and Sergeant Crowley in the same cage. She is a, she's a first, on the TV it said, I mean, you know, what the fuck, but she said she was a first-generation Portuguese-American. So, I would think that that means she's from Portugal, and since she was the only one that had any fucking common sense in this whole uh, fiasco, uh, that speaks well, speaks well of the Portuguese, <laughs> if you, if yeah, you ask me. <laughs> so, and you know, like I don't know if you were listening earlier, but you know, why why didn't uh, Lucia get invited to the little uh, beer nut gathering we had this afternoon? 
And, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, she's the only one that had any fucking common sense about the whole deal, and she took more shit than anybody, and uh, she didn't even get to go have a drink with uh, with the boys. Did you Did you see anything on the news of it? Um, I haven't been watching the news. I took a week off work, so I've been doing stuff around the house, but... Um we see. Well, Joe Biden uh, wormed his way into the into the beer fab. With, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was a, it was pretty funny. I, I mean, I, I won't go into it that much, but you know, they're sitting at the table, no audio, obviously. The cameras are way far away, and all they could do was just zoom in and check them out. But it didn't look like it was a very comfortable gathering. You had you had Biden next to. Uh, and, you know, Biden, they were closest to the camera was on the left, Biden, on the right, Obama. So on the left, you had Biden, and sitting with, to Biden's left was Professor Gates. And on the other side of the table, you had uh, President Obama, and to his right was uh, Sergeant Crowley. And I tell you, I, I think they needed more than a little beer to loosen that group up, man, because you couldn't hear anything. But the body language is like, you know, what the fuck am I doing here, you know? <laughs> it was hysterical. I thought it was just absolutely hysterical. <laughs> so, uh, how you been doing, my friend? You say you've, t- you've taken a week off, or you're recharging your batteries, and yeah, uh, I've been working on my garden and around my house. <laughs> what you growing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my brother asked me the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you say your mother or your brother? My my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him to grow uh, his own tomatoes. Yeah, I've. Just got the basics, peppers, tomatoes, some herbs, uh, watermelon, cucumbers. Watermelon? Yeah. Oh, that's How long does it take for that to grow? Apparently quite a bit. Is this your first time growing the watermelon? Yeah, my parents used to grow it, but this is my first time, and I still don't even have any... Uh, little melons yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you got tomatoes and peppers and, and herbs. Huh? What kind of herbs are you growing, Luke? Yeah. Uh, well, my oregano didn't grow, unfortunately. Neither did my tobacco. Yeah, tobacco is a hard thing to grow, isn't it? Yeah, I had some started in, in seed pots inside, but since I'm out of town during the week, they... They don't do so die. well. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have a you don't have a dog or a cat or anything, do you? No, <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so tell everybody if I got some other listeners up in that area. Tell everybody what's going on uh, this weekend up in Columbus, Ohio, Luke. Okay, this weekend, uh, Saturday, August first, we are having a statewide tea party. It will be outside the state house in Columbus, Ohio, and. I know a big group of us uh, libertarians are meeting up at Cafe Brioso uh, around 12:30, so you can meet us there and walk with us. Now, this uh, this tea party is non-denominational. I mean, it's not sponsored by any correct. political company, any political party. It's just people that are pissed off, right? That is correct. And when's so, it start? Um, I am. I should have that answer. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> I think it's at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. Yeah, close enough. But yeah. uh, how many people are there, uh, do you expect will, uh, will turn out? I've been hearing from people all over the state who are attending, so I think 
there will be thousands of people there. That's great. And, and I understand that Judge Napolitano is the keynote speaker. Is that still a happening yes. thing? Yes, he is still on. Uh, they're having a little private reception. I was going to say, did you buy the dinner with him? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm, I've got other plans for Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> got to tend that garden, brother. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what, are they, what are they asking to sit down and break bread with the old judge? You know? I think it was $500. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I said, I have other plans. Yeah, really. Food better be good, and there should probably be a dancing girl or two for 500 bucks to play. I mean, Judge Napolitano, he's, he's a nice two. fellow, man. But I'd rather go through the drive through at McDonald's with him. So uh, any, any other – I looked at some of the other speakers. Uh, they had, uh, had a pretty decent roster of folks. So how, how is this going down with the, with the Columbus State Police Department, uh, who back in, the, in 71 and 72 had a very adversarial relationship with me? But I do know the police captain. Uh, actually, he's a, he's a friend of the family. But uh, you guys got enough porta potties and shit like that. I mean, do you have, did they have problems? Are you involved with the setting up of this, or are you just going to be a uh, engaged uh, observer? I'm just going to be an engaged observer. So I hope things go smoothly with the police, and I I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Me either. Uh, we, we haven't had any problems that I've heard of at any other events in Ohio yet. So we'll see how this one goes. Well, that should, it should prove, to be, uh, should prove to be a pretty – are they having a band or anything, any kind of entertainment? Um, I'm not I sure. Mean, again, like, <laughs> like I said, with all that money not. they're hauling in for <laughs> Judge Napolitano, or at least trying to haul in, they ought to be able to get a, you know, a little band or something, but – yeah, it could be on the agenda. I know they will have some booths set up from various organizations. And right, what did you, did, think we'll, did we'll you check the weather channel or anything to see what the weather's like this weekend? Uh, no, I'll probably do that Friday, and I'll pack my poncho if I need to. Now, you're up in Pennsylvania, right? Um, sometimes I'm in, up in Erie, Pennsylvania. Right now I am in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Beaver Creek. Man, my mother yeah. used to live in Beaver Creek. I grew up in Fairborn, which is another. You probably didn't pass that town. I mean, Beaver Creek is probably <laughs> like the other dark side of the moon for you anyway. You go into Fairborn, and it's like a very dark side of the moon. <laughs> I used to work at Fairborn, so I know a little oh, bit. Oh, did about you? Where did you work at Fairborn? Uh, custom Computer Builders. It was oh, on damn. Broad Street. Yeah. Up by the police department. Well, I, uh, I grew up in Fairborn, graduated from Fairborn High School, and uh, liked that little small town. But like most small towns, it's a little, little weird. But it was a great place to, to grow up. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base was there, and that's what got me involved in wanting to be an Air Force fighter pilot when I went to college. I would have been, too, if I had to get busted for pot. <laughs> I was qualified. I went through ROTC. I went, this was 1968, Luke. I started Ohio State. And that's when all this shit was burning literally on the campus with the anti-war fervor and everything. But I went to become an Air Force pilot, and uh, I joined ROTC. And for the first two years, the most, uh, the most disruptive and violent years on, on campus for the anti-war revolt, 
Uh, three days a week, I had to walk the college campus and go to all my classes in my Air Force <laughs> dress blues. <laughs> 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 so, like I said, like I said in my book, I got a pretty healthy skepticism of the "he ain't heavy, he's my brother" mantra that they were uh, spouting back at the time. But anyway, I was qualified. I took, I took the, I passed the FOQT test and the initial pilot nav, pilot navigation uh, physical. So I was qualified to, to be a to be a pilot. So. At the end of two years, I decided not to go back for the for the last two years since I intended to spend my career in the uh, in the Air Force. I wanted to spend my last two years of college as a civilian because I was already guaranteed to go to flight school, OCS, and then flight school when I graduated. So I had those two years that I intended to spend as a civilian. You know, let my hair grow a little bit and hang out and quit, <laughs> quit getting spit on when I walked to class, you know. <laughs> I thought I'd blend in a little more, you know, and infiltrate yeah. these fucking yahoos and see what their, their whole game was about. But was, <laughs> what was weird about it, I mean, the, you know, the last, the last quarter of my sophomore year, or towards the end of my last quarter of my sophomore year, I was still in ROTC. And, I, you know, I was cool with the, with the whole thing. I loved the music. I wasn't crazy about the, some of the, you know, uh, love, love it or leave it uh, rhetoric of the of my long-haired brethren, but I was uh, simpatico, at least in the music side, and uh, I didn't think there was anything wrong with drugs, even though I hadn't tried any yet. But uh, so after, you know, my last two years of school, you know, I got high, hung out, and, uh, you know, tried and was less less conspicuous among my uh, my brethren. But then I got popped for pot in the summer of 1971, and that, <laughs> that queered the deer deal for me becoming an Air Force fighter pilot. God damn it, I wanted to fly jets, man. I just love that shit. I love being in airplanes. I had no problem with my internal gyroscope. I could turn upside down, float around. It didn't bother me a bit, and I really wanted to fly F-4 Phantoms. That was my deal. Mm. But anyway, I got uh, I got honked out of that deal. Do you, ever, do you ever serve in the military, Luke? No, I didn't. My dad did in the Air Force. Um, I, you know, considered it a couple times, but uh, haven't done that. Of course, I have um, worked indirectly with the military quite a bit through my job and supporting their, uh, supporting mainly uh, retrieving uh, soldiers who have gotten shot down behind enemy lines uh, just through the products that we designed. Damn. Do you ever have any kind of clearance for that? You're not going to get in trouble for telling me, are you? <laughs> no, I won't. Get Signing in off now. <laughs> um, I, I did have a secret clearance for that, and even after a little bit of trouble with the law, um, yeah, which will which will remain <laughs> unbroadcast. Yeah, nothing nothing to do with drugs. But, no, no. Well, um, well, now. Well, well. Illegal type. drugs. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I, nothing ever happened to it. Well, that's I, I had a I had a top secret clearance when I was in the army because I was I was stationed at a nuclear missile site in uh, what was then West Germany. So I had uh, that, that was a, that was a very surreal experience. We were out in the middle of fucking nowhere, man. And at uh, this little line battery, it wasn't even big enough to be called a military base. It was a line battery. We had. Uh, less than 100 soldiers. Never had more than 100 soldiers at any given time. They were all guys, no girls. So it was it was a very strange thing to be out there in the in the middle of bumfuck Egypt, sitting on uh, uh, 12 nuclear missiles. But 
Yeah, so I had a top secret clearance. I couldn't go a lot of the places that I wanted to go. I was a supply clerk. I mean, it wasn't like I was, you know, I didn't walk around with the, with the football with all the codes in it or anything, you know. But yeah. I was I was a supply sergeant, you know, which was a cool job, actually, because you're out in the middle of fucking nowhere, and there was a few jobs. The people that held some of these jobs, you just didn't fuck with them. You didn't fuck with the cooks because you never know. You didn't, you didn't fuck with the mailman because if you did, you wouldn't get a letter the entire time you were there. You didn't fuck with the company clerk because he processed all your leave paperwork. You certainly didn't fuck with the armor because he was in charge of your weapon. If you lost your fucking weapon, you might as well just, you know, kiss your ass goodbye. And you yeah. didn't and, and you didn't fuck with the supply sergeant because the supply sergeant, every requisition had to get my signature, whether it was a roll of toilet paper or a fucking nuclear detonator. And if you fucked with the supply sergeant, you'd lose your we'd lose your laundry. <laughs> So that was a that was a pretty good job. Supply sergeant was a was a good job, but uh, I enjoy, I enjoyed my time in the army. Where there smoked a lot of really good hash, and uh, and had uh, very pleasurable sex with women with funny accents. Oh. Um, it was it was, it was uh-huh. I know. I, yeah, sorry, honey. <laughs> my wife's listened to that, but that was shit. that was fucking in 1975 and 76. So many many moons ago. Well, so are you going to uh, you're going to give us an update next week, Luke, on uh, on the Portugal experiment? I will, as long as I'm able to call in. Uh, oh, that's right. You're going to you're going to be drunk and disorderly at the tea party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or no, you won't. That's this weekend. No, I'm sorry. That's this weekend. You're going to the tea party. Maybe. Yeah, they they probably would have to let me out. Uh, before then, <laughs> yeah, really. yeah, you should be able to make bail on that. If not, I mean, you, you did something really bad. <laughs> I hope so. I, I am going to bring some of my own uh, cigarettes that I roll myself. So, you know, if they do any random searches, they might want to check that out. But we'll see what happens. Well, I, I would imagine that the, at the tea party, uh, you should be able to remain fairly incognito and. Enjoy yourself to the highest potential. Say hi to Kevin for me. I will. Be uh, I'm sorry I couldn't make it, but you know, had the, this wifely thing comes up, and you got to do what you got to do. So we'll get up there some I other understand. time, and again, have your friend, uh, you know, send me an email, and I'll and I'll get a book out to him. All right, I'm gonna have him call into the show uh, sometime soon. Okay, cool. Any any time he wants, you know. Every Thursday night, we're just sitting around <laughs> doing nothing. So sounds good to me. All righty, man. I will uh, I will talk at you later and uh, take care. All right, you too. Okay, Luke. Thanks for calling in. Bye now. Bye. Okay. Well, there we have it. I think we're uh, um, we're done there. I think Luke. I didn't hear the phone hook up. Oh, there it goes. Okay. Well, that was uh, that was my friend Luke McCuller uh, giving us an update on the Portugal decriminalization experiment and uh, catching up on some information on the Ohio Tea Party to be held this Saturday in front of the in front of the State House in Columbus, Ohio. So, if you were within shouting distance of Columbus this weekend, uh, go to the Tea Party and. See what it's like for yourself. It gets a lot of positive press, negative press, depending upon which way the press leans. But uh, generally, they're just a group of citizens, not politically. Then the Tea Parties aren't politically sponsored by any party. But it's just people that get together that realize that, uh, or at least get together with a, with a 
common cause that they believe our government is spending way too much money and they don't think we shouldn't spend any money, but they believe that we should spend money more wisely and, and not take uh, some of these foolish programs to, the, to fruition. So again, if you're in Columbus, Ohio this weekend, go to, uh, go to the state capitol and, and uh, see what the party is all about, the Tea Party this weekend. Look for Luke. He'll be the one that looks real straight with the sunglasses on with an illegal smile. So we're going to have a few minutes left in the hour tonight. Uh, I'll get maybe next week I'll talk about my presidential run for the Libertarian Party in 2008 and discuss uh, my health care um, ideas, or maybe not. Maybe we'll be on to something more important next week, or maybe not more important, but I'm sure there'll be a, a, another subject that we'll have going on. So we want to end out the evening uh, as we uh, are wont to do. And we're going to have our, which is which is the favorite segment of the show, I think. I've had a couple of emails saying that they like it. And that's our segment called Cops on Drugs. This is when we have, uh, you know, the drug war corruption extends the uh, into the law enforcement ranks. So here we have a couple here. Let's, uh, we only got a couple of minutes. So there was actually a very long list uh, this week, again, supplied by our friends over at the uh, at stopthedrugwar.net. This is the Drug War Chronicles. We want to make sure we give our props to, uh, to Scott and uh, Dave and everyone over at uh, stopthedrugwar.net for compiling this information on the uh, corrupt cops drug war chronicle check them out so we have uh, down uh, down in New Orleans actually up in New Orleans everything is pretty much up from where I live but in New Orleans we had a uh, a Tangipahoa Tangipahoa Parish uh, I think I pronounced that correctly Tangipahoa uh, Tangipahoa Parish uh, Sheriff's Deputy I was indicted uh, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago um, for a uh, by a federal grand jury. Uh, this uh, former sheriff's deputy's name was Kevin Whittington. Uh, Kevin was 44 years old, and uh, he was indicted by a federal grand jury. As I mentioned, he was arrested by uh, federal agents, federal sting, uh, earlier in July, and was charged with the. Possession. He was charged with possession and the intent to distribute ecstasy. Well, we have a police officer out there selling MDMA for fun. Uh, and of course, he. Which is, ecstasy hasn't come up in the news lately. I think that's interesting. He was uh, uh, had ecstasy that he was trying to uh, turn everyone on to. Well, our uh, our hapless uh, Tangi Pahoa. Sheriff Deputy Kevin Whittington, 44 years old, faces up to 20 years in federal prison and a fine of up to $1 million. Well, if he's going to do 20 years in the can, he should probably smoke and some ecstasy up his ass because he's going to need to feel good because uh, 20 years in the federal prison, former cop, you do the math. <laughs> Poor Kevin. I mean, you got to think about these guys. I mean, you know, people get busted for drugs all the time. Civilians that go to jail. You know, it's not a good thing. But think how much more tense you would be if you were a uh, former police officer thrown in jail uh, for dealing drugs. 
So our, our, uh, our last uh, cop on drugs tonight, um, interesting, this is a military guy up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, um, a U.S. Navy police officer, MP for the Navy. Uh, of course, he pled uh, not guilty to cocaine possession and distribution charges. Our Navy uh, police officer by the name of Andy Regaldo, excuse me, uh, yeah, Regaldo, Andy Regaldo, 36 years old, young man. He has been in custody since he was pulled over uh, for driving erratically last month. Um, <laughs> police found nine pounds of cocaine <laughs> in his car. <laughs> and what the fuck's this guy doing driving erratically if he's got nine pounds of coke in the car? I mean, was he drunk and, uh, and scared? I bet you if he'd have been snorting some of that coke, he would not have been driving erratically. He might have got a speeding ticket, but I doubt that uh, poor Andy would have been pulled over for driving erratically had he been all, uh, all coked up. <laughs> nine pounds of cocaine in his car. <laughs> I don't think, uh, you know, even in Portugal, that gets your ass in a, in a sling. So Bridgeport, Connecticut, Navy Police Officer Andy Regalado, Andy Regalado, nine pounds of cocaine in the trunk of his car. Well, as I look at the clock on my little Macintosh computer here, got a couple of screens, all kinds of shit here in the uh, inside the opium den studio as i see we're about to uh to close off for the evening i want to thank everyone for tuning in a special thanks to luke for uh, for calling in hope you like the show tonight we'll be back here again next thursday night at 9 p.m eastern at the opiumden.net and as we do every week we leave you with this when good people obey bad law Bad law never changes. Good night.